And we're back. I'm Gervier Brum here with Shmakar Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into the menu and reflecting on all their major movie and TV news of the week. Tonight will be madness. Welcome to Hawthorne. Yes, sir! That's a true thing. You shouldn't be here. Yes, sir! This is real, isn't it? Yes, sir! What the heck is going on? Something special. Yes, sir! I love you all. We love you too, sir! We're going to die tonight. Come on, you can't miss this. Who's hungry? All right, in our first segment, we're talking all the major movie and TV news of the week. And then we're going to be talking about the menu with spoilers if you want. Skip around. We got timestamps in the description. Jump on first thing. We've been talking about the buildup mm-hmm. of one of the most anticipated movies of the year. We have these high expectations for these big tentpole blockbusters that Disney is kind of relying on to basically make them the money that they're going to make for the entire year, basically. Like, they have, like, four or five movies every single year that are the movies for them that keep them as the powerhouse for that year. Yeah. The news that came out recently was James Cameron was talking to GQ, and he said, Avatar The Way of the Water has to become the third or fourth highest-grossing film of all time to be profitable. That means it has to make over $2 billion, and he also informed the studio that the film represented the worst business case in movie history, and when he asked how expensive the budget is, he said, it's very fucking. So uh, I want to get your thoughts on like, number one, we, we've, I feel like we've talked about like the expectations mm-hmm. that, uh, that Avatar 2 has to live up to. But now it's like he's giving us the real metrics. It has to be su- this successful. <laughs> I, I feel like this guy is really throwing himself to the wolves and just pinning his own back against the wall, even perceptually. He is calling his shot at the very least. I don't know what this guy's doing. You you got to talk me through this. I did my dissertation on James Cameron and the idea of the blockbuster movie. And because he hasn't released a movie in well over a decade, there's probably a generation of people that don't really know much about him or the way he goes about his business, some of the, the quotes he gives. James Cameron, and you can go all the way back to the 80s, he is a brutally honest person. He almost works against the studio system and he works against um, the idea of how much power they have. But in a way, he has been so successful that he kind of has carte blanche in terms of what he can say, who he can talk to, what he can get away with, right? I have no idea what the numbers are i don't know that information but there's a few different ways i can probably disseminate is what what you're saying here the first is okay it has to be the third or fourth highest grossing movie of all time right for it to become successful people have to remember though they shot three movies back to back yeah right so even if it's not let's just say for example it's the fifth sixth or the seventh let's just say for example if it's not even in the top 10 there's still two more bullets in the chamber for them to make the production's done they're in Mm post-production right another way of looking at it is it probably will be the third or fourth highest grossing maybe one or two right only because we've only have to look at his track record and he genuinely produces you know either the number one number two number three highest grossing movie of all time yeah and even just to interject there just as a a little bit of context avatar one yeah made 2.9 billion dollars avengers endgame made 2.7 titanic made 2.2 star wars episode 7 made two same thing with avengers infinity war so we're looking at he already has two of the top five highest grossing films of all time yeah like the track record speaks for itself 
these movies, these Avatar movies aren't what he did earlier in his career. This is not Terminator Aliens, Terminator 2, True Lies, a hard R, or in the UK, an 18 rated for adults only kind of movie. No. And like as far as, as far as kind of universal appeal goes, you know, Titanic checked most of those boxes, but this checks you know checks every single box. Yeah. Family, kids. Um, I mean, look, think about the merchandise revenue that they're going to do. Just let, let alone what they're going to do at the box office. There are so many revenue streams when it comes to the world of Avatar that I have. I don't really have too much fear or concern or worry that it's not going to be um, a financial success. Uh, we'll see exactly you know where it ends up landing in a couple of months once the actual film has kind of gone through its entire run. But what I love, and I feel like this has now become a weekly occurrence, we're talking about a James Cameron quote. Yeah. I miss him. I think he's a breath of fresh air. He's my favorite director of all time. And I feel like at this stage of his career, again, he's a bit of an old, you know, grizzled veteran at this stage as well. He can say whatever the hell he wants. And honestly, not many directors or filmmakers would say the kind of things he would say because he can literally do whatever the hell he wants to do. You know what's funny is that I always bring up these James Cameron quotes. One, because obviously it's in the news cycle and something we should be talking about but number two it's because i want to get your thoughts on it because you're my james cameron guy yeah you're my go-to guy i can if you want to ask me about quentin tarantino's takes on this or that i feel like i'm up to date on those and i have enough context to be able to provide some insight Mm -hmm. i really want to know though is like perceptually how do you feel you know james cameron comes out of this let's say for example this movie makes 1.5 billion dollars right how does James Cameron come out looking from that? You know what? I guess I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what what will happen is he'll probably come. Ah, well, we did one point five billion dollars. On to the next one. Like again, he's just brutally honest. Yeah. Like he and he's had L's. It's not as if he's got the perfect track record. You know, he's swallowed up his L's. He's very honest. What would you say are his L's? The Abyss was a commercial flop. Mm. Critically, it, I think it found an audience over time, and yeah. I feel like now it's become a bit of a cult classic. Yeah. Right. Um, it's kind of crazy because that's so early in his career. Yeah, but he had to rebound from that. What did, he, what did he go? He went back to what made him famous, which is the Terminator franchise. And after that, he's like, all right, cool. I kind of have learned my lessons here. I, I basically got to make sure that I kind of go down a certain path. True Lies was uh, an okay commercial success. Critically wasn't well received. And then he went and did Titanic. And after that, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. But yeah, listen, uh, I, I think perceptually... Again, it comes down to a generational thing. There, there might be some people out there that aren't fans of Steven Spielberg or Quentin Tarantino. Who knows, right? Sounds crazy. Sounds crazy to think that, that right? That's probably true. I've met people that are not fans of James Cameron. They don't rate him at all. At all. And here I am, like, I'm a big, big James Cameron fan. And, like, I'm like, I don't want to have to go and ha- have this exhausting conversation about why I think he's the greatest director of all time or why I think he's top tier. That's your opinion. <laughs> What's going to be fascinating is, depending on how much money he ends up, or this movie ends up making... And I'm pretty sure I'm accurate in saying this. James Cameron will, I think, be the only filmmaker that I can think of from the top of my head that would have had a movie do over a billion dollars in three different decades. Mm -hmm. The 90s, the 2010s, and obviously now in the 2020s. No, he'd be literally the only one. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is like that alone, to to make a movie that can appeal to the mat literally the masses to appeal to the most amount of people in the entire world at any given moment in time is an incredible accomplishment if this movie makes three billion dollars is this conversation like obviously it was going to make that much avatar made 2.9 billion obviously Mm. it's gonna make more than the last one yeah I, i kind of equate when we talk about box office returns for movies kind of like how a lot of people 
in the pro wrestling community refer to ratings mm. it's like cool if you want to have that conversation we can definitely have that conversation it tends not to be what i'm most interested in i though. completely agree with that i just want to see a good goddamn movie yeah, 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 yeah like yeah. i just hope because i'm a fan of cameron and i feel like avatar can go in a direction where i can really invest further in the world building and the law and the mythology and the characters over the next you know decade because we've got so many more movies coming hopefully that I just want to see a good movie. I completely agree. Like, that is my end-all, be-all. I just want to see something good. I don't care. I really don't care about the numbers at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting that this is such a big part of the conversation going into it. For sure. Because at the end of the day, it's the highest grossing movie of all time. Obviously, this is going to happen. Exactly. It totally makes sense. Next, I got Harrison Ford. He will be de-aged back to Rages of the Lost Ark era for Indiana Jones 5. Apparently, this is also set in 1965 with Indiana Jones facing Nazis during the time of the space race. Uh, he said the simple fact is that the moon landing program was run by a bunch of ex-Nazis. How ex they are is the question. Uh, that was from Jez Butterworth. I'm interested, number one, the fact that he's going to be de-aged, I think is interesting. And number two, that plot sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, from what I read, it's not the entire movie though, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I think the opening, like... Yeah, um, yeah, just a couple sequences. A couple of sequences that, that starts the movie. Yeah. I have a few, like, you know, uh, concerns only because I I still don't think I've seen de-aging done perfectly well. Sure. Like, I've seen some examples where it's, like, maybe 80%, 85%, maybe touching 90%. Yeah, the Irishman, when uh, Robert De Niro is, like, stomping that guy out, I always will remember that scene because it looks like an old man stomping some guy out. Exactly. Let's see. Like, again pressure there's a generation of people that grew up with indiana jones me being one of them kingdom of the crystal skull sucked so bad that it kind of left everyone with a bit of a bit of taste in their mouth i actually rewatched it again like i think a year or two ago and i'm like oh man this was really bad it's kind of odd because i'm i'm such a big star wars guy i'm such Mm. a big lucas guy and all these like everybody that's involved in these movies i'm a big fan of but i never really got into indiana jones like really i just never did like it never was one of my guys so I'm, i'm curious to see how this kind of movie lands and also, I'm always interested in this de-aging technology and seeing how far they can take it. Yep. It's interesting because I was going to bring up later on was going to be that Jennifer Aniston actually mentioned that there are no more movie stars. She says, I feel like it's dying. There are no more movie stars. There's no more glamour. Even the Oscar parties used to be so much fun. I feel like these two points are kind of connected because number one, they're using this technology to make sure that these stars that they have, they can still squeeze a little bit more out of them. Right. And then on top of that, it's interesting that she also feels this way where they're like the idea of a movie star. I grew up with the idea of a movie star. Yeah. I can understand where she's coming from because that glam that, that came with being a movie star feels like it's a little bit deconstructed. But I think that's mostly because people know everything about every movie star now, every GQ piece on them, every podcast on them. Every tweet. Every tweet. We know everything about every single person. So now that there's like this massive amount of transparency with the people that we do like, it feels like there's like a little bit of a... Like that prestige factor is a little bit gone, but yeah. the humanizing factor has been raised so much. So I like support people because I think they're good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not so much because I think they're like, oh, this is a movie star. There's only like a few people I still think that kind of rank in that way. But I, I think that those kinds of two stories kind of go together where they're still trying to maintain their old movie stars. But do you feel like we're not getting those new movie stars anymore? I feel like we've talked about this a few times. I view the whole idea of movie stars very differently because you have to look back and I don't, I don't, you know, don't not want to throw my degree into the hat here, but I did do a film studies degree. Why did we have movie stars to begin with? It's to open a movie on the weekend. Why was Arnold Schwarzenegger such a massive movie star, quote unquote, over the 80s and the 90s is because he could open a movie. 
in the 80s and 90s and the and in the early 2000s when a specific actor slash movie star was attached to a picture all of a sudden the studio knew okay we can budget production for x amount because we know looking at metrics that this actor slash movie star can open a movie can recoup a lot of the cost what's changed streaming services there's there's not the whole idea the concept of opening a movie isn't what it used to be it's not uh, a hard and fast rule it still definitely applies you only have to look at uh, top gun maverick this past year and what tom cruise has done mm-hmm. but it's the exception to the rule these days and the other thing is just the whole idea of movie stars and uh, you know movies they're attached to the filmmakers and things of that nature has also changed because the dominant genre right now is comic book movies let me give you an example if Right now, DC was like, hey, you know what, Matt Reeves? Hey, Robert Pattinson, great job. But we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to just reboot it again. We're going to have a new Batman. Cool. They could hire some unknown, but that Batman movie will still make X number of you know, dollars at yeah. the box office. It's not dependent on Robert Pattinson being in the movie, right? Every time there's a, a new character, like Mahershala Ali isn't the draw when Blade opens. It's Blade by MCU by Marvel Studios. We're not going to be like, oh, this is Mahershala Ali, oh, I have to watch it. No, it's like, oh, it's Blade. Blade's finally, oh, it's going to be R-rated, amazing. So I look at it from the perspective of box office revenue and how much money they can generate. Um, The other way you can look at it is just how much of a fandom, you know, some of these actors and movie stars have now. And I think it's more to your point of how they're much more visible because of social media, the whole idea of, you know, pre-social media, picking up a magazine or a newspaper or the tabloids and seeing the latest paparazzi shots of who's dating who and that's sped up. That's yeah. that, that's your morning coffee. Um, I got a few quick hitters. I wanted to get some opinions from you. Uh, first off, Fast 10, their budget has now been increased to $340 million. Mm-hmm. One of the highest budgets in film history. Mm. And it's coming from like a franchise that's like the weirdest franchise that's like maybe ever existed. Weird in so many ways. Weirdly successful. Weird in terms of execution. Weird in terms of casting and who they have. And like this weird everything about it it's just so weird to me yeah it's it's almost an anomaly within itself of like why it exists and then for it to be one of the highest grossing franchises of all time also uh it just to put it in perspective fast seven i believe is in the top 10 of the highest grossing movies of all time mm-hmm. if i told you like a fast movie is one of the highest grossing movies of all time that sounds wrong doesn't it doesn't it sound like incorrect if you looked at the top 100 highest grossing movies of all time entries from the fast and furious franchise are scattered all over it crazy to me and it's crazy to me that movies of such poor quality can make so much money yeah i'm not surprised that the budget is what it is they're gonna make money yeah it's gonna do a well over a billion dollars worldwide because it has its own cult following and it has its own passionate fan base that it doesn't really care too much about quality yeah. than it does about the characters that they've already invested their whole lives in now yeah. i think we're, we're approaching what 20 odd years or so that's the rough ballpark since the first yeah. Fast and Furious movie came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a generation right there. That is a whole generation. Um, next, I got James Bloom and James Wan are in talks to merge their companies, Bloomhouse and Atomic Monster, into a mega supplier of horror films. Cool. Obviously, you're not a massive horror fan, but as we are, like the other massive competitor I see, like perceptually, has always been like. I'm always curious to see in the horror space of what A24 does. Right. Right. And Bloomhouse has always been like right there for me as well. Like The Conjuring, Insidious, and so many other films. But I feel like it's interesting that horror is kind of become like this. 
it's, it's had a weird resurgence recently, right? Like, as, as somebody who isn't a huge horror fan, don't, don't you see, like, perceptually that, like, something kind of changed recently in the last few years? I feel like horror always has its kind of, like, dips and, like, you know, uh, high notes. It, um, what's the word? What's the phrase I'm looking for? Um, peaks and troughs. Mm-hmm. You know, horror has always had its peaks and troughs. Like, so, you know, there's a few years where there's not real good quality and the Halloween season kind of, like, comes and goes and nothing real of substance sticks around. And then all of a sudden, you have a classic. Yeah. You have a banger. You have a movie that makes, like, Smile was such a massive hit this year for the horror franchise. And I actually enjoyed it. I thought I it was could, all right, you know? I could see that for, like, five different movies this year. Like, yeah. I, I thought, like, the uh, horror in general, in the past few years, I've had... A hell of a resurgence and mm. i feel like it's kind of demonstrative in what this business deal kind of shows us mm-hmm. is that at the end of the day there is such a new and interesting market for horror not only are people watching these horror movies in theaters and i think that's a testament to the fact that when you actually want to experience something a visceral reaction in a movie theater there are few genres that are going to give you that feeling more than a horror movie mm-hmm. but also if you're at home and you're with a bunch of people and somebody says throw on a movie 90% of the time, I feel like people are asking, what scary movie can we watch? Right. I feel like socially, that's where it has become, like, the most important part of, like, conversation. Like, it's one thing where, like, people are... People go to, like, a comic book movie because it's, like, an event. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, shit. Like, like, like if most people are going to a movie theater, they're going to watch whatever that next big event is. When they yeah. go to watch Way of the Water, the Way of the Water has to deliver as an event for a lot of people to go and feel like they have to see it. I've, if I miss this, I am not a part of whatever Experience. pop culture moment yeah, is yeah, happening yeah. right now. That is what horror has become and this uh, on a smaller scale as well. And that's why there's success not only in a movie theater, but on a streaming service. Yeah. I just want to see creatively mm. where they can kind of take the genre and keep moving it forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's only a good thing, right? Like if you're a fan of the horror genre, not only have you, ha- you know, experienced a good run over the last couple of years, but it, specifically this year but how does that not get you excited yeah. whether it's a movie that's going to be released in the theater whether it's going to be something that you stream at home on netflix or something like that you know again i know we talk about disney and marvel a lot and i wouldn't say it's kind of like the deep end of horror but even they've now dipped their toes this year into the monster slash horror you know portion of the mcu yeah right so they kind of opened that door a little bit yeah, and yeah. hopefully that's explored a little bit more in blade and it's the same thing they they did it on the streaming service because mm-hmm. like they want to see like how can we get people to be like how can we be a part of this yeah right and i think we're going to start seeing that more and more you always hear about how multiverse of madness was supposed to be horror inspired or this was supposed to be horror like yeah. i'm curious to see how they kind of take what is being accomplished in terms of actual execution mm-hmm. with, with horror and being able to uh, like adapt that into these major blockbusters because i yeah. think that's the direction we're starting to go mm-hmm. uh two pitches i wanted to get from you mm-hmm. well first off it's actually not so much a pitch but jonah hill is set to direct his second film ever his first one mid 90s fantastic but now that, that was a movie with basically unknown actors right and the story was very low-key just basically about skateboarding this one is called outcome we don't know what it's about yet but it's uh keanu reeves has been cast in it cool. which Number one says that Jonah Hill is already starting to get big name actors that are being a part of his projects. But uh, I'm interested to see what these two can really do. Because when I think of these two, I think of like two of like the most likable people in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. And I'm just curious to see what kind what's the outcome of this? The movie's called Elka. I'm just curious to see what is going to come out of this. How excited can you get just based on that little bit of information? Yeah, fairly excited. I'd say like, you know, and, and I also just to speak about Jonah Hill, I feel like ever since... 
Wolf of Wall Street, I've al- I've always had this idea and this sense of he's a made guy in Hollywood now. Yeah. Like after that movie came out, you work with Corsese, your boys with DiCaprio. I'm like, you're in. You're in. And like, you know, since then, God knows how many, you know, conversations and meetings and run-ins he's had with the who's who of Hollywood. And it you know, does not surprise me whatsoever that he's cast someone of Keanu Reeves' caliber just for his second movie ever. But at the same time, Keanu Reeves is that guy. He has time and time again chosen to work with young directors, new directors, and kind of like dip his feet into different types of filmmaking or genre and stuff like that. The Wachowskis being obviously the best example of that. Um, so yeah, this is this is interesting and good for Jonah Hill to get someone like Keanu Reeves on board. And Keanu Reeves, say what you want about him, but he's still interesting. Like John Wick Four is about to come out. We had the trailer drop, which done some stupid numbers. Yeah. You know that's been uh, a part of his kind of resurgence over the last like five six years. So he's back on a high again. Yeah, and for Jonah Hill to get somebody like that uh, yeah. while they're on this run, yeah, it says a lot. Plus, Re- a lot. plus Keanu Reeves will be coming back in Constantine, which again is another movie you know that has its own hardcore passionate following. And people are really interested for a, a, a almost like a legacy sequel you know so what 15 16 years later yeah you know just people say shit i don't know i don't even listen to it half the time what did i say that's, that's shit about you and your cousin or something like that i don't even listen to it it doesn't even oh well, it's not like that no <laughs> it's not like that you know what i mean like you married your cousin or some stupid shit no yeah my wife yeah my wife is my cousin or whatever but it's not like what you think whatever you know is she like a first cousin or is she yeah no she you know her her father is the, is the brother of my mom uh, next, Kiki Palmer has been cast in Moxie, which is a action comedy which follows a foul-mouthed stripper who pisses off the FBI in a big way when she somehow becomes the best candidate for their fancy new agent program. After we have seen her in Nope, I feel like it's time to start seeing Kiki Palmer in these massive roles. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I was a big fan of her. I mean, this pitch doesn't really do it for me, if I'm being honest with you. I think when I, when I hear genre of action comedy hit me with that first trailer mm-hmm. you know like i feel like action comedy isn't something that i've seen too much of in recent years and if i had to like name you like five six really good action comedies i don't know if i could maybe it's another one of those kind of pockets of genre that doesn't really kind of you know float my boat too much mm. um 22 jump street was a fantastic action i was comedy, actually thinking of 21 right? 22 jump street but how long ago was 22 jump street yeah you I, know yeah pineapple express like i'm thinking like comedy wise like i, I just want to laugh sure you know I, mean? I, I want to laugh and yeah keep palmer's funny so i'm curious to see how they can kind of fuse mm. these together mm. last story i got quentin Tarantino says that the modern era of movies is among the worst he said i do feel that 80s cinema is along with the 50s the worst era of hollywood history matched only by the current era i kind of half agree with quentin tarantino here because i am a big fan of the 80s and it may just be a nostalgia factor but i can name you forget about howard hughes movies and and all that kind of stuff coming of age movies forget that man the 80s produced some incredible, incredible five-star movies. I get what he's what he's coming from. God. I can't forget about those coming-of-age movies. That you just like that's no, my no, whole no. thing. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not putting that. I'm not trying yeah. to dismiss that either. Yeah. Right? Like I that's feel like, what makes the 80s for me. That's like the defining factor. In sure. The 80s for me. There's so many good. There's coming-of-age movies. There's Arnie movies. There's Top Gun. There's Beverly Hills Cop. There's Aliens. There's Terminator. I some of my favorite movies of all time. Right? Um, what would you say are like the this is a hard question to ask somebody like in the moment but like what would you say are those 80s movies that you think are contenders for best movie of all time Terminator yeah yeah the first one 
Anything else? Aliens. Genre specific or just in general? No, just in I've, general. I've thrown two bangers that are about that are sci-fi. Absolutely, yeah. What, what, do you think anything else like that would be universally considered? Born on the 4th of July, I think is fantastic. It's one of Oliver Stone's best movies. And I know it's a very young Tom Cruise before Tom Cruise had his t- you know, teeth fixed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic movie. That is, I, I don't think the Rain current- Man is fantastic. This, I mean, again, I'd have to kind of actually maybe Google uh, yeah, yeah, me movies. Too, like me too. To, to, but from the top of my head, that's what comes to mind right now. You know what's weird though? I Blade Runner? Yeah, there you go. I mean, come on. I don't think that the current era is as bad as people make it out to be. I just think there's so much coming out yeah. that there's a lot to filter through. But I really think that, you know, think about just this year. How many movies have we seen this year where they were like, wow, yeah. I can't believe all these movies have come out this year. Yeah. Right? We went to TIFF and it was one of the best experiences we've ever had. Banger after banger after banger of some of the best movies I've ever seen. What does that say about like criticizing a current era of movie making? I think a quote like this from Tarantino, people may take very similar to what Scorsese said about comic book movies. Yeah. Uh, very similar to maybe some quotes from James Cameron. And, and this is a thing that happens. And it's not just in the movie world. It happens in sport. It happens in pretty much every form of entertainment. There's going to be a time when people that you look up to or people that have got incredible legacies perhaps hit a certain age and it's like, well, back in my time, right? Yeah. And that's what I always feel like it sounds like. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know what? When I was growing up in the 80s, oh, the appreciation I had when I was working in a video store for the movies from the 50s, all those classic Westerns, man, they just don't make them like they used to. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. get it. That's your point of view and you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, but yeah. I can't take on board a comment like that and be like, you know what? The last decade sucked because the last decade did not suck. This I year, like you just said, blast. has been a, a like almost like a banner year. Yeah. A banner year. I, I agree because we, we said the same thing of when it felt like when we came out of uh, the pandemic not so much that came out of it but uh, when we came out of the summer of like basically coming out of COVID and all the restrictions being lifted and all that kind of stuff it felt like so many things were fun but one of those banner things for this entire year have been movies yeah and I don't think that's something we should kind of shit on and I understand there has been a dip for the past like two years but that was COVID you know what do you want us to do during that time we still had some solid movies but Right now, we're getting incredible movies, and I'd say for the past 10 years, we've had incredible movies. Mm -hmm. The very last thing I'd want to mention is just that Quentin Tarantino also confirmed that his next project is going to be an eight-episode limited series, and filming begins in 2023. I feel like we've been asking for a limited series from QT for God knows how long, so I am massively excited for this. I'm excited, but pressure's on. He's never done an episodic television show before. Yeah. So, like, it's cool that, you know, you, you drop, like, you know, a fantastic movie every so years but an eight episode tv series and maybe this is almost like a peek into um the second phase of his career once he drops what he says will be his final film it doesn't mean he won't make television for the next 10 15 20 years so for this to be his debut television show i'm very excited about that yeah yeah but yeah that's everything for the news this week but let's get into our movie for this week the menu over the next few hours you will ingest fat salt Sugar, protein, bacteria, fungi, various plants and animals, and at times entire ecosystems. But I have to beg of you one thing. It's just one. Do not eat. Taste. Savor. Relish. Consider every morsel that you place inside your mouth. Be mindful, but 
Do not eat. Our menu is too precious for that. And look around you. Here we are, on this island. Accept. Accept all of it. And forgive. And on that note, food. All right, so first thing, the menu. Gentlemen, I kind of want to know what... This was one of those movies that we were supposed to watch at TIFF, mm-hmm. and it was one of them that we were very excited about, but we never got a chance to watch. Mm-hmm. Why was I excited about this? Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Fiennes, and I... T- like, I just wanted to, number one, watch as much as we could at TIFF. Yeah. But number two, this run that Anya Taylor-Joy has been on since, like, not just Queen's Gambit, but everything else as well, uh, with Last Night in Soho and a bunch of other movies that I've just been a big fan of, this feels like one of those things that catalog wise was going to be whatever's next yeah right and uh she has a lot in the chamber coming up because she's been so hot lately but i'm just curious to see what was your kind of thought process kind of going into this i didn't know much about the movie i just saw the poster i didn't see a trailer i was like oh cool he's in it she's in it interesting i'm in let's go watch it and so i kind of went in very much with a blank slate like no uh preconception of what this movie may or may not be about whatsoever yeah first thing almost like this is a weird one to review and we'll talk about that in a little bit but if, if you just kind of give me a general idea what did you think of the movie yeah it's, it's the movie's like a dark comedy slash suspense thriller horror it's got it's a, it's a, it plays in a few different genre it parts plays in like a million right? different genres um and over- that's what it is at the menu right it's a menu. that's the thing it's the menu <laughs> yeah. it takes you through this course of like different series of events that happen and you're just like whoa what did i just go through yeah we're gonna have a lot of food and uh, menu and allergies and i have 10, to right we'll have to we have to <laughs> um but yeah no, overall i enjoyed it yeah overall i thought it was a good time at the theater i had a lot of fun i actually yeah. regret not watching this at tiff because i love watching a movie like this where there's so many reveals yeah that happen i love seeing it with a big crowd yeah that is so heavily invested in the movie mm-hmm. so when we watched it obviously you know it's not the biggest movie in the world right we got to watch it with a relatively small crowd so there's not going to be these massive reactions but yeah. for me like i just wanted to have seen what people thought at all these different little reveals and personally like uh, just my experience of it i really did enjoy the hell mm-hmm. out of this movie i mm-hmm. thought it was fantastic mm-hmm. um i thought they all the characters were so much fun so flawed it was like a great deconstruction of not only like society but filmmaking yeah right and as film nerds this felt like a movie made for us yeah right? ab- absolutely and it's such a strong script and the food by itself is something we can talk about but yeah i really walked away with massively positive sentiments walking away from this movie yeah and no one should be surprised because it's mark mylod mm-hmm. right Mark made Ali G in the house in 2002, The Big White in 2005. What's your number in 2011? This is only his fourth movie in 2022. So in 20 years, he's made four movies in total. The common theme throughout is comedy. Like he'll do a dark comedy, he'll do an out and out comedy, but he loves playing with the comedy genre a lot. And this definitely kind of fits into his filmography really, really well here. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, I felt like uh, like again going in not knowing anything is probably the best way to kind of like enjoy or absorb the experience of watching this movie yeah because like 20 minutes in 25 minutes in i'm still figuring it out like what direction are we going in here i felt like that the entire movie right (laughs) and then it it wasn't until uh, and i can't remember the character's name but it was the old gentleman when he gets his finger chopped off i'm like all right i get it that's the moment i know 
what we're in for now for the rest of the movie. Yeah. I'm in, I get it. You've kind of had me, kind of, you've teased me. Yeah. You've kind of whetted my appetite. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but now I get it. Now I've got my kind of full mouthful of what's going on right now. I think it's two moments. One is that, but right before that, we had this weird little situation where the sous, the, the sous chef kind of just walks up, says how he's never going to achieve his dream of being the head chef. Mm. And he basically kills himself. And the weird thing is in the moment, the whole restaurant and, and the crowd and us, and we're all just figuring out, is that real? Is that what just happened? Really? I thought that. I'm like, is this, are we going to get like a gotcha at yeah. the end of the movie? Exactly. Everyone's felt, in on it. It felt like this weird murder mystery without like with the murder happening right in front of us. Right and, right. and we're just like, well, what am I supposed to believe? And yeah. it's funny because you have all these characters that are kind of reinforcing what you are worried about or like mm-hmm. you're not sure of what to think. There's a critic that's literally telling you, like, no, 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 we're all part of this. We're all in on this. And then there's bros who are just, like, worried, like, no, 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 I don't think this... And, like, you're just getting all these different perspectives from all these different characters. Mm -hmm. And it's not until that moment where the finger gets cut off from somebody we know and somebody we're invested in walking in that we're like, oh, this is real. And yet you still have a character like uh, Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt, who, while these tragedies are taking place, is already like, oh, let's see what's next on the menu. And yeah. oh, did you taste that? And did it kind of like tickle your taste buds? And Yeah, that's actually a great place to start because Tyler in this movie is the super fan. Right? Yeah. He is the guy who knows everything about this guy and basically is kind of one of us in a weird way right like in a weird way he is a super fan Mm. and not somebody who's there to completely just criticize this experience and just kind of go with the flow of this experience he is there thinking he is part of this experience but i think the biggest revelations you kind of walk away with this character and the biggest revelation that you kind of get from this movie is the fact that you find out that everyone in this movie is going to die and halfway through this movie you find that out and you're basically just watching it kind of unfold and you're just waiting to see, okay, how does that not happen? Because that, that's probably not what's going to happen, right? Because they've already told us this halfway through the movie that everyone's going to die. How does that get prevented? Mm-hmm. And uh, then you find out that he was actually aware that not only was he going to die, but that everyone was going to die. And the person that he brought along after the fact was also going to die. And that is Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Margot. What, what, what kind of perspective do you get from... Number one, that relationship of what does Margot represent? Talk about a loaded question. What does yeah. she represent? That's what I mean, because that's she what this rep- movie is, she right? She represents being the wrong person at the wrong time in, in the wrong place. Like, I feel like Tyler, there's some traits about him that I feel like I have as bad qualities, but I don't know if they are bad qualities or not, because I too like to take pictures of my meals when I'm at a restaurant before I start to actually enjoy it. That's the society we live in. That's social media. I want to post about it on my Instagram before I take my first bite and whatnot. He's also like, and I I don't know if this came across, you know, in Nicholas Holt's uh, performance, but the character itself, if I just take away the performance, is an absolute prick. Yeah. He's like, he's got money, but he's also got clearly got some you know mental health issues he's about to go into an endeavor that he knows he's not going to come back from yeah. he's going to die and he's also willing and this may be the sociopathic side of his uh, psyche he knows that everybody else is going to die and the woman that he's going to bring along w- with him is also going to die like you said so it's like but I didn't get that from Nicholas's performance, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's what it was, right? Like, he was lulling us. When Same thing with her. He's lulling us into this, like, weird place where we're like, oh, we can trust him. Right. Because we were brought in with him, mm. right? We, I feel like we're viewing everything through the lens of uh, Margot, right? And she's the innocent. That's how I kind of view it, despite the fact that she's a prostitute in this movie. That's kind of the fun little 
juxtaposition that they had because mm. she is the innocent. At the same time, she felt like when everything was getting crazier, she was our voice. And it's interesting because I, it kind of, uh, for me, goes back to Nicholas Holt. My biggest thing is when I watch his character, mm. I walk away thinking like, oh, this guy's completely disconnected because he, because I think this is the most toxic trait I have mm. of like being a fan. I care so much about the art. We talk about that earlier. We talk about how like I, I don't care how much money this, uh, this movie makes. Sure. I just want to see a good movie. Yeah. Right. And th- the sentiment behind that is this, I just care about art. Yeah. Right. And this guy only cares about art, but to a psychotic degree mm-hmm. where he's willing to die for it. Yeah. Right. And we're not, we're not there, but like you can kind of empathize with this person who's so, so socially inept yeah. that they're willing to die for the thing that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. He compares cooking with like basically like athletes yeah right and like like and i i get that because i've done the same thing yeah how many times have you heard me be like we're all just like sports are just tv shows right and yeah. i feel that way sports are just tv shows where like you know why do we hold these things in some weird reverence and this is the same way that this character does and i find that very interesting that mm. they got that across really well but they also removed any sort of emotionality because later on we find out that this guy is fucked mm-hmm. right <laughs> like just completely fucked he's willing to die based on just what the Ralph Fiennes character says. Yeah. Also, speaking of Ralph Fiennes, what an incredible performance by him. Margo. My name is Margo. I've served many Margos. You're not a Margo. No. What the fuck does it matter? It matters because this menu, this guest list, this entire evening has been painstakingly planned, and you were not a part of that plan. And it's spoiling everything. It once again just reminded me that he does evil and he does villainous roles really really well so well like if you look at his resume his best performances are when he's playing the bad guy and once again he's done an incredible job of having another nuanced performance of playing an absolute prick on screen is he the bad guy in this movie what do you think he's not the bad guy is he the bad guy you tell me he's not the bad guy isn't everybody the bad guy He's definitely the, the the antagonist here. This is his show, his chef, you know, his restaurant. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like... He's the maestro here, pulling when, all the strings. When I leave this movie, I feel like everybody's a bad guy, you except can, for Mark. Like, if, they're, if we're ranking villains, but that's what the whole point of this nuanced movie is, right? Like, everyone turns out to be a bad guy. I mean, everyone's a bad guy, but that's not one of my biggest takeaways from the movie, is mm. that everyone's a bad guy. That's obvious. What everyone's are your takeaways from this movie? My takeaway from this movie is it's more of a, a take on society, how these people live, and there's different pockets of all these kind of like pieces of shit, like you said, that are living out there in the world that feel entitled. Because let's face it, everyone is there for one reason or another, because they have money, they have power, they have influence, they have something that puts them at a higher um, level than normal folk. The, all, the only quote-unquote normal person there is Anya Taylor Choi's character of Margot? That's what I meant. The innocent, just, yeah. the innocent, and she's the only one that we could relate to because we are kind of going through this journey with her on this movie. I, you know what? The, the way I kind of view it though is that, like, no matter what, we are like we like a lot of us are like little pieces of all these characters, and you can like take away as little as you want from it. Mm-hmm. But there are parts of every single one that you know you can kind of not every single one but like a lot of them that you can kind of dip into sure. and kind of relate to yeah right and uh same thing with the critics same thing with the panderer same thing with like the want the clout chaser same thing with these business bros like you do all these bad things that they do and you participate in those activities but at the same time like it feels like we're the innocent mm-hmm. i don't know that's like it makes you ask the question it makes you ask these like these kinds of questions and yeah. that's why i really really enjoy this movie because the mm-hmm. whole time i wasn't just sitting there watching this movie like there's humor there's tension it's heady, but like constantly thinking of like 
number one, figuring out what's happening in the movie in like a whodunit sense of the way. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously, I'm kind of figuring out what layers represent what. Right. You know what I mean? It's like a mindfuck of a movie where I'm not, I can't just sit there and just watch it for the experience that it is. Mm -hmm. It is an odd experience in itself. I also do feel like this is one of those movies that the the first experience is going to be your best experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you watch this movie the first time and you're going to have a blast and like because you're trying to like again like you said figure out what we're we doing is it a murder mystery is our people i was constantly asking myself are they all in on it for like one or two people like what's really i'm just trying to like i'm yeah. trying to find out what the conclusion is here and then when they all eventually die apart from margot i'm like oh they were all gonna die just like he said they were gonna yeah, die yeah yeah exactly right so that's like the weird thing we got the reveal halfway through the movie and they still followed up with it yeah but i, th- I really think uh Number one, the way they shot food in this movie was absolutely incredible. Nice. But the way they shot that burger to, like, represent, like, the innocence of, like, creating your art for yourself and, yeah. like, the joy of, of doing the work, that for me is, like, ooh, that, that, that little scene where he finally lets her go, yep. that's, like, that's an incredible scene. And it's also kind of what she found was her, his kryptonite. Is yeah. that taking him back to before he was this, you know, world-renowned, you know, Michelin star chef or whatever he is. It's, like... Just make me a cheeseburger. Yeah. Take me back to that good old, you know, home hearty and warm burger that you used to make. Yeah. He says that he never finds joy in cooking for anybody. Mm. And she finally gave him that one last time. Yeah. Right. I think that's a beautiful thing, Mm. Uh, even though it's a weird character. But whatever. Let's get into some of our categories. Uh, As far as best character goes, I'm curious to see where you kind of ended up with this. Oh, this was easy for me. This is Margot, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She has this screen presence that is just incredible. I feel like he only comes around once in a generation. I felt it in Queen's Gambit. I have everything I've seen ever since. Like, you know, Last Night in Soho was just phenomenal, even though she's not in the entire movie. Just something about her, and I can't quite put my finger yeah, on it. It's she's hard. got a magnetic something She's got that it. je ne sais quoi, yeah. that X factor. Yeah. And I just cannot wait to see her in more movies and more TV shows because I feel like her screen presence is great. And also her performance as Margot is fantastic as yeah. well. Um, for me, actually, somebody we haven't even talked about yet mm. is uh, Hung Chao as Elsa, mm-hmm. right? The, like, basically Ralph Fiennes, like, right-hand person. The they could have been Ralph. Yeah, no, not, not her. You know, like, uh, the, the woman that's, like, basically handling Walking the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, so for me, like the Ralph Fiennes character is fantastic. Yeah. The Margot character is fantastic. But this character is like the backbone of mm. the entire movie, right? Like the entire operation as well. Like her yeah. performance is so powerful and it elevates everyone else's performance. I feel like a lot of this would have felt like normal interactions in a restaurant yeah. had she not existed. Yeah. Right. And she's basically like this massive, like unlikable character. Yet for some reason, by the end of her run, I empathize with her and what she's trying to do. And everyone else is like, everyone's a piece of shit in this movie but she's so committed to the vision and she literally proves that because she dies for it mm. right in a forceful kind of way and she dies in a way where she's not willing to lose her spot and uh yeah i, I think that's just like a really interesting like from like uh it, where that sentiment kind of lies in like the movie industry i find that really really interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um what about as far as best scene what do you got this is a bit of a tough one i'm not gonna lie but i ended up going with um when the coast guard turns up mm. uh, and for a second there we're like oh my god everyone's gonna maybe potentially survive he gets this note which says help us and then all of a sudden double turn it's like he is actually in on this whole thing as well yeah and i thought that whole scene was perfectly executed just because just for a split second you the audience member 
on behalf of the people that are sitting on all these tables feel like there's a sense of hope that they're going to survive or at least some of them are about to survive yeah. and all of a sudden all that hope is diminished literally a minute later yeah this almost felt like uh, like obviously it's like a meta mindfuck of a movie but yeah. like that was like okay cool we're getting worked yeah you know what I mean? by the end you're like oh my gosh uh, for me it's got to be that cheeseburger scene mm-hmm. I think that is just like not only a fantastic execution in terms of like food footage like and I really wanted a burger afterwards but just what it represented, like him finally getting that last moment yeah. before he literally goes out in a blaze of fire. Yeah. Uh, what about as far as star ratings go? I'm curious to see where you kind of ended up with this. Five mm. being the best, zero being the worst. Uh, again, five being one of the best movies ever. Yeah. Right? Zero being the worst movie ever. Yeah. Where, where are we landing? No, no, no. 3.75. I actually really enjoyed uh, the movie. And like I said, I feel like it's the kind of movie that is like a one and done experience for me like i don't see myself watching this again on netflix or whenever it's released i enjoyed the, the movie for what it was i actually think it's one of the better movies that i've seen in 2022 mm, and, and i would actually recommend it like if you have a chance to especially watching in the theater go out of your way to watch it it's really good i highly recommend watching this movie and you know what's fucked up i think in a way it's it's not a perfect movie in terms of like execution mm. there's like weak performances here and there and there's like weird little pieces of dialogue that happen but for some reason it still feels like a perfect movie in terms of like where we end up mm. right and uh it is up its own ass on purpose obviously but odd by the end of the movie i am left in this place where i'm just in a sense of awe and mm. that same sense of relief and everything that the margot kind of goes through i feel like i went through and uh for that reason i give it a 4.5 i really do think it is one of the best experiences i've had as far as movies go this year mm-hmm. and uh for that yeah chef's kiss pun intended uh, but yeah, that's everything for the menu. Last segment, let's get wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. Jumma, hit me with Sandu's pick this week. Listen, the World Cup is going on right now, but if even if you have zero interest in football, soccer, the World Cup, you will find this documentary fascinating. It's called FIFA Uncovered. It's a four-episode documentary that just got released on Netflix a few weeks ago. It comprehensively covers the history of the FIFA organization and in particular the corruption of its executives. Whether you like it or not, soccer slash football is the most popular sport in the world, right? It's not the NFL, it's not the you know Major League Baseball, NHL, it's not the UFC, it's not the NBA, it's soccer. And when you have a governing body in FIFA that has, you know, looked after the sport and helped it grow, but then you start to find out how it's gone about its business and some of the corruption and the money laundering and some of the the underhandedness of how certain countries have won World Cup bids, it really kind of opens your eyes because of the amount of money that's actually involved in the game. So yeah, so like I said, if even if you have no interest in the World Cup and and in soccer, but you just enjoy like a really well-made documentary and in particular sports documentaries, I can't recommend FIFA Uncovered enough. I, I, it's actually really interesting that both of us kind of are recommending documentaries this week. Mm. Uh, for me, it's uh, Stutz on Netflix. It's a documentary by Jonah Hill following his psychiatrist slash like therapist and their thought process and approach on mental health. It's incredibly powerful. And it kind of starts off as like this fantastic tool for understanding mental health. He literally will break down different kinds of tools you can use in your own life for uh, just approaching situations and all this kind of stuff. And then it turns into like this beautifully open and honest look into someone who has this deeply profound insight into the human psyche. And you really follow this person and 
I, I kind of walk away with not only a lot of like a genuine piece of information that I feel like I can use in my everyday life, but more so like just a real like great sense of like the subject of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Like I walk away being like, wow, what a documentary I just watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, go out of your way. It's called Stutz. It's by Jonah Hill. Uh, it's on Netflix. But yeah, that's everything for this week. John, where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hey, listen, do us a favor. If at this point of the show you are still listening to us, 10, 15, 20 seconds is all it takes. Wherever you're listening to us, rate and review us. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.